unity. The body of Christ is exhorted to pursue unity. So let's jump back into our discussion of heresy and explore some of the thought patterns that bring about just the opposite of unity, that being division. Here's George. So we've just heard from Paul in Galatians 5 talking about the kinds of things that we do to destroy one another and the sins of our nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, and so on. And the point here, as we look at heresy, is we seem to have little difficulty seeing the sinfulness of things like sexual immorality, of idolatry, or lust. But we quickly indulge in hostility, in dissension, and division to defend the gospel. It's the same as claiming that we commit adultery or worship idols to defend the gospel. Dissension and division and bitter words are all sin, and they can't be excused by saying they were being used to defend the gospel. They are all sin. They cannot be used as a defense of the good news. So, with this understanding of heresy, that it really means to cause division in the life of the body of Christ, let's look at some of the classic challenges to the faith, heterodoxies over the centuries. Some would say we are looking at heresies, and we are in this sense that they caused division in the body. But each of these in itself is more accurately called a heterodoxy, a departure from right teaching. The first of these we'll look at is modalism, also called Sabellianism. Now, here's the idea of this heterodoxy. In the Godhead, There are not really three separate persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Instead, there's just one God, and he acts in different modes. Sometimes he acts in the mode of the Father, sometimes in the mode of the Son, sometimes in the mode of the Holy Spirit, depending upon the need. Or said differently, he wears different masks, depending upon his intention and purpose at the moment. Now, the problem with this idea is it says fundamentally that God is a fraud. He pretends. That's why it was rejected by the church. It also makes a hash of events, such as the baptism of Jesus, where the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, and the voice of the Father is heard to say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Is the Father also standing there as Jesus? and descending on him, and calling himself his own beloved son? Modalism does not hold up under scrutiny. What the very early church said is that there are three persons but one God. Many writings, including famously those of St. Augustine, address this doctrine, and it is set forth clearly in the Athanasian Creed. Here's a sentence from it. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. And so the church has rejected modalism. That heterodoxy is a teaching not in line with what we believe about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
and their relationship to one another. And that heterodoxy caused heresy, caused division in the church. Let's turn and look at another called Arianism. This is an early heterodoxy that also caused heresy, and it was promoted by a fellow named Arius who lived in the fourth century. He said, God created before all things a son, but the son was neither equal to nor co-eternal with the father. According to Arius, Jesus was a supernatural creature, not quite human, not quite divine. Another way this was presented was to say that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are of different substances, that is, different natures or orders of being. And so the church, in the face of this heresy, because it was producing division, asserted homoousius. This means of the same substance. The Nicene Creed includes a sentence specifically to combat this heterodoxy. Here's what it says. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Begotten, not made, makes the point that Jesus was not created by the Father, but was with him before anything was created. And one substance means that Jesus is God in his very nature. As you can see, both modalism and Arianism are controversies over the fundamental nature of God and of the person and role of Jesus Christ. Other heterodoxies disputed on this same issue, and one purpose of the creeds was to clear up any misunderstandings and reduce the disputes and subsequent divisions that they caused. Now here's another heterodoxy, docetism. Notable among these heterodoxies, this docetism is an element of another heresy called Gnosticism, and we'll get back to that. The idea of the docetists, and this is similar to Arianism, you can see there are so many strands here that are alike and run together, was that Jesus was not really fully human. He may have been God, but he never became fully human. They might say that he was fully divine, but he only pretended or seemed to be human. Again, the root of the problem here is the implication of fraud in the Godhead. There is one old docetist text that describes the crucifixion. It pictures the body as Jesus hanging on the cross suffering and the real divine Christ standing on a distant hill watching and laughing because as God, he cannot suffer. That is the docetist heresy. It shows us a God who is a fraud, who never actually had his own physical body, nor died on the cross, who fundamentally lies to us in his relationship with us. Now let's turn to another, starts with D, donatism. 
And this is the last heresy I want to talk about. Donatism. It divided the church. It's especially important to us today because it is raging worldwide again in the church, across denominations, and in many forms. The idea of the early Donatists was this. Only those living a blameless life belonged in the church. Their idea was the sacraments, of which there were two key ones, baptism and communion, were ineffective if the person celebrating them was not sinless, and also that any ordination performed by a bishop who was not sinless had no effect and no ordination of another person truly happened. Donatism was considered a holiness movement in the early church, where those who were in it strove to be holy, and they excluded from their company those they did not believe to be blameless and sinless. This still goes on today. You've seen it. I've seen it. It ranges from not allowing people to sing in the choir if they are having troubles at home to refusing to receive communion at the hands of a bishop, a priest, or a pastor whose theology differs from your own, especially on hot, controversial issues. Now, don't mistake my point here. I'm not saying that differences in theology are irrelevant. They can be extremely important, can even be salvation issues. But to suggest that the minister's own sinlessness is essential to God's being able to be present in communion, baptism, ordination, or anything else is to assert God's powerlessness in the presence of his sinful creatures. Can our sin get in the way of our relationship with God? Of course it can. But does God depend on the sinlessness of his followers and pastors to be able to be present in communion, baptism, ordination, prayer, care, teaching, or anything else? No. The fundamental idea of the church is we are all sinners gathered together. Our responsibility to each other is that we should teach what we know to be true, hold each other accountable, love and edify each other, and speak with humility, love, and directness when we believe that there is sin in someone's life. What the Donatists did while the Christian church was still basically one church with local bishops gathering geographical regions called dioceses was to set up competing bishops in every diocese of North Africa where they held most of their influence. They created competing churches separate from those of the original and undivided church because they believed that any bishop in the original church was a sinner and therefore nothing he did had any effect. His actions were deemed to be unholy in their roots and unholy in their effects. We'll come back to this terrible problem, this heterodoxy of Donatism when we gather again next time. Thanks, George. Well, they may be couched in names that you may not be familiar with, but the beliefs behind these heresies may be sounding like something that you've seen in your faith experience. That being the case, we hope this discussion is helpful, and we'll continue it right here next time. Please join us for the next edition of What We Believe and Why.